Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others.
to the light. Skipping ahead to verse 19. The testimony of John the Baptist. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, among you stands one who you do not know, the one who is coming after me. <clears throat> I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of God for the children of God. <laughs> well, before we dive into God's word for us this day, uh, let us join together in a moment of prayer. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your word for us this day, we would grow closer to you, grow more in love with you, and grow more in love with your creation. That as we approach the holy night of Christmas, that we would approach the manger, the tomb, seeking to witness all that Christ calls us to be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, football is one of my favorite sports to follow. Not the football that you're thinking of, though. I believe you Americans call it soccer. I love, uh, I, I just love the, the sport of soccer. I love the sport of football. Uh, however we call it, I love to, even when I'm not watching it, I will follow on my phone both the on and off the pitch uh, activities that are happening. Recently, I was catching myself up on uh, some soccer and was watching the second season of Welcome to Wrexham. And whenever I watch uh, these documentary shows, I will automatically go back and like watch the previous seasons as if I don't know exactly what happens. One, I watched it happen in real life, in, in real time. And then I watched the documentary, and then I watched the documentary again. Um, and as I was watching the documentary this time around, I, uh, a quote stuck out to me in the first season. Now, for those of you who don't know, Wrexham is a football team in the northern part of Wales. Wales is a country that is a part of the United Kingdom. It's not part of England. It's part of that bigger body that is the United Kingdom. And it is the third oldest continuously run club in the world and has the oldest international stadium in the world. So this is a club that has so much cherished history behind it. And what happened was this, this TV star and this movie star, you may have heard of them before, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, uh, bought a, a chairman's stake in the club to try and revitalize this town and to help revitalize the sport of football. And so as I'm watching the series, I'm watching 
game. It's an away game in October of 2021. And they watch this game, and then Ryan Reynolds puts out a post that says, football is a staggering, heartbreaking, gorgeous, Tommy gun of a soul-deadening, evil and beauty, and I'm never sleeping again, ever, ever. I love this sport so much. I don't know about you, but that was a roller coaster of a sentence. Let alone the game itself that saw two goals scored by their opponent, a red card given to a Wrexham player, which means they were playing a man down for about 70 minutes, two goals then scored by Wrexham, and then a late goal for Wrexham to lose the game. The joy and elation coupled with the despair of everything that happened. When I hear that quote, I don't just think about soccer, I think about sports in general. I mean, sports is kind of this quintessential place where you can experience pure, unadulterated joy for one second and then 15 years of despair. Right? There's no more pure joy than when your team wins the championship, and there's no worse feeling than when your team loses to a rival or just sucks. <laughs> and I often think about this joy when it comes to this season. Because that joy when we're rooting for our teams, it almost feels fleeting. Right? We can all point to those era-defining teams. Right? We can all point to those teams that, that won all of these championships. The fans just filled with excitement and elation. And maybe now you're just going through seasons of despair. Those feelings of adulation and despair feeling like a roller coaster. Mountains and valleys. And it's not just in sports, though. It's any time in our lives, right? We have those true times of joy and happiness. And then again, we have those times where life just sucks. And we think about what the meaning of that joy truly is. And as I was preparing this sermon this week, I had that thought stuck in my mind. What does our joy truly look like? You know, when I started here at Beach Grove in 2020, we were uh, implementing all of the COVID-19 health stuff. And one of them that we all remember really well are the masks. And I remember after a few months of masks, everybody kept asking me, they're like, when can we get rid of the masks, Pastor? We just want to see everybody smile. Right, y'all remember that? Yeah. Well, you know, we got rid of the masks and we can see each other smile, but sometimes I feel like we traded one mask for another. We may be able to see each other's faces, but do we actually experience, know, understand true joy? Or have we merely just put on these smiles to let other to make others think that we're joyful in life. 
even in a place where joy is meant to be right here in the church, sometimes it's hard to experience it. And we've lost out on what it truly means to claim this idea of joy. We have these moments where we're excited, where we're happy, where we can sit in the congregation and watch 15 kids sing Christmas carols, and it fills our heart with joy only to go home and for something to happen and for the despair to start to creep in. It's so hard to talk about joy because joy feels so fleeting. There's something always there that's going to knock us off kilter, that's going to steal that joy away from us. Well, as we've been doing each and every week, let's take a moment to reclaim joy. Not that fleeting joy that, that seems to come and go as we're happy or upset, but that everlasting joy that doesn't look at our feelings in a particular moment. And we're continuing to, to look here in Isaiah, in this, this last section of Isaiah, as we see the people of Israel having returned from Babylon, and the prophet Isaiah writing to try and encourage these people in who they are and what they need to do. And we see Isaiah call out, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right? I imagine the prophet looking out, not physically, metaphorically, looking out over the state and nature of Israel, seeing these people returning back, and they're just trying to find something, something to latch onto that lets them know that life is going to be okay. That God is still there, that God is still looking out for him. The prophet sees a people who are broken, who are suffering, who are oppressed. And yes, the prophet probably sees people going around smiling at one another like, oh, yep, how you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm good, right? But deep down... When we look deeper and when we read these words from the prophet, I think we can begin to see that there's something else that's happening in Israel. Right? Yes, the people of Israel, they are excited to go back to their homeland. They are excited to go back, to get back in there, to go back to their lands, to experience the community that they had. But they've been gone for so long and there's something that is just missing. They want joyful hearts. They want joyful spirits. But that joy that they keep on trying to experience is fleeting. It's like watching that football match. Sadness and joy mixed together all in the course of 90 minutes. Probably taking 10 years off of my life. And it's in that mindset, that feeling joy is this momentary thing. And I think it's because we have allowed the outcome of our hope to determine our joy. Instead of 
finding our joy in the hope. Right? We talked in the first week about this hope that is all around us, this hope of the work that God is doing. And we want to place so much of it on whether or not something good happens. Right? We are joyful because of something. Instead of carrying around the inherent joyfulness that is meant to exist around us. We remind ourselves that our joy is found in our hope. It's not because of the outcome of our hope, but we are joyful because of what our hope leads us to be. Because we hope, trust, love, live into who God calls us to be. That is our joy. That is our happiness. Right? We do not need the joy, uh, the, the fleeting joy of championships, of wins, of accomplishments. Because we already have the joy. We don't need to hope for great things to happen. In our hope, we find joy. In the hope of who God is, in the hope of Jesus coming to earth, of the hope of Emmanuel, God with us, that is our joy. How do I know this? Well, it's right there in Scripture, friends. <laughs> Verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Listen to that. God has clothed us in salvation. God has offered to us righteousness. Never are we promised these great and magnificent things God's giving is simplistic, and yet it should ignite a joy greater than anything we could ever experience. In God we rejoice. In God we find our true, true joy. And that's the joy that sustains our lives. That's the joy that gets us around. We hope and trust in God. And we hope and trust in the message that comes through Jesus Christ. Right today in our gospel, we, we meet a familiar figure. It almost seems like during Advent, we meet John the Baptist so that we can meet Jesus in Christmas, right? I mean, that makes sense. <coughs> today we dive into the gospel of John's story about John the Baptist. And I love this portrayal of John the Baptist, right? We don't get wild, we don't get wild honey, we don't get locusts. We don't get the camel's hair belt. We don't get the brood of vipers. We get a very temperamental John. We don't get an argumentative one like we get in Matthew. We get a measured baptizer. One who stands before the priests and the Levites answering questions. Who are you? And John plays this role of hopeful anticipator. If there's ever a person in Scripture who's calling us to reclaim something, it's John. John is calling hearers to reclaim this sense of faith in God. 
John is calling listeners, calling the priests, calling the Levites, calling each and every person that he baptizes to reclaim this understanding of what it means to believe. Why? Because John has seen what is to come. John proclaims who he is by proclaiming who he is not, right? John is not the Messiah. John is not Elijah. John is not the prophet. And so we get a frustrated priestly order who's like, well, then who are you? What are you doing here? Why are you baptizing people? And I can just imagine John saying, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> Because I'm here. I'm baptizing with water. I'm helping people understand what is about to come. There's one among you who is greater than I am. And you know what? When he comes, when you meet him, when you know him, when he becomes a part of your life, your life will be transformed. But you know what I'm doing? I am preparing the way for Jesus. I am preparing the way for this Savior, for this Messiah. Because when he comes, you're going to need to be ready. You think I'm special? John says he's not even worthy to tie his hands. Think about that statement for a second. John sees himself next to Jesus so unworthy that he is less than a servant to this man. Pointing the way. John is calling these people to reclaim this hope, this peace, this joy, this love that was so embedded, that was being called to by Isaiah when Isaiah is welcoming all of the Israelites back into Egypt and is calling them to rejoice in the Lord. Christ comes and offers true joy. True joy that's not founded in our accomplishments, in our wins, in our losses. It's not accomplished when we get what we want. It's accomplishing Christ. And the hope that Christ offers Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are words that we hear in the Sermon on the Mount. And John is pointing the way to the calling that Jesus will offer people. We know that people are coming to Jesus seeking comfort and joy. And Jesus offers it. Joy is found in God. I mean, we find so many ways in our lives to leave our gripes and complaints. But I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a world driven by the joy of the peace and the hope and the love? Wouldn't it be great to come to church, to go into the world, to be filled with that joy all the time? I mean, yes, I can go home and Hope to God that the Patriots don't play a terrible football game again. The likelihood is not good this year, friends. 
So know rest assured that it doesn't matter what happens in that football game. Doesn't matter happen, what happens when I watch Man United play soccer. It doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter when I what happens when I go and vote next November. Because I know that my true joy is found in God. I know that God is always working in and within this community. And I know the work that we do together is the hope that we hold on to. It's the hope that sparks my joy to begin with. It's the fruits of those labors that continue to show forth all the work that God is doing. And so how are we finding that inner joy of God through Christ? How are we living it? How are we expressing it? How are we sharing it? Amen. As we uh, enter this final week before Christmas, it's always an interesting week, filled with busyness, last-minute shopping. But it's also filled with some of the darkest days of our year. Right on, on December 21st, literally the shortest time of daylight that we have in our calendar. Just a few short days before Christmas. Reminding us of everywhere that we've been. Reminding us of every place that we're going. And sometimes making it a lot more difficult for this time of year. And so as we gather together today and we offer our prayers, we lift up those, those prayers 